Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. To those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. O oh, come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anna. It's good to see you here today. Anna's been had some spine issues and hasn't been around in a while, so I'm really good to see you this morning. Um, I just want to introduce our, our speaker. Um, we're week three into this kind of five-week series of guest speakers um, that are uh, coming, and uh, man, they've been really good so far, so uh, set the bar high for you, John. Uh, no, uh, John Irvine's a, a good friend of mine and uh, our first kind of local um, guest speaker, so John's part of the Acts 29 network as well, planted Cornerstone, how long ago, mate? Five years, Yeah. In when? In May there. So, and is just doing a cracker job down there um, in Rathfri Island. And, uh, uh, you know, I kind of like to pay, poke fun of his accent a little bit, but there's nothing but absolute admiration um, for John um, to plant a church down in, in, in a village like Rathfri Island. And I think over 200 are, are attending. And I mean, he's just doing a great job reaching people who kind of walked away from church or uh, some of the Catholic community down there. So, I, I, yeah, I just have a lot of. Uh, respect for John and, and the work he's doing um, down there. Be praying for them. Um, they're trying to secure their own facility. They rent the Young Farmers Club, contextualizing well down there. And um, 
it, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy trying to pack everyone in there. They're at two services and could really use their own space. And so uh, they're trying to buy some property. So uh, uh, I'm just going to pray for you now. Can I do that? Come on up. And um, uh, yeah, just remember them in your prayers that the Lord would show them favor. They'd be able to obtain some of this property and, and really uh, be able to uh, go from strength to strength down there. So um, Father, I just thank you for uh, my brother John and the, the good work, the good gospel work that he's doing um, down on the front line with his team. Um, Father, I just thank you for uh, the favor that you've uh, given them. Father, we just ask for more of that and more of your blessing on them, um, especially in this uh, time where they're trying to secure some property. Uh, that's always a, a, a hard endeavor at times. And so, um, Father, I just pray that you would go before them. Um, Father, if this is your will, that you just make that path smooth, and if you've got some other plans, uh, bigger, better plans possibly, that you just reveal those things as well. Um, Father, just give John freedom um, uh, this morning as he teaches uh, with your spirit. Uh, just empower him. May his words be your words. Um, may they, uh, through the power of your spirit, penetrate our heart this morning. Um, uh, uh, that you're here to speak to us, that you're here to meet with us. Um, so, Father, I just thank you again. Um, uh, for my brother here, and uh, pray that you do bless him even now. Amen. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Mom. Thank you. Morning, everyone. A uh, couple of things I need to say before we get into the text this morning. Uh, one is just can I bring greetings from Cornerstone, a fellow A29 church down in Rathfriland. As a matter of interest, who, who actually knows where Rathfriland is and who has been in Rathfriland? Oh, that's quite encouraging. That's, that's actually quite good. Uh, yes, can I just bring greetings from there and all our love. We are praying for you guys. We're praying for Lucas. We're praying that God heals him completely and that he is blessed. And, and you guys know blessing through that. Second thing I want to say this morning before we get into the text is Tim Keller ha, has a book called Center Church. And the concept of that book is that when the gospel is planted in cities, and churches are planted in cities, then the gospel flows out from those places to the countryside. That same concept goes for slobbering about brothers and sisters in Christ, all right? So when Lucas got up last week and introduced Reuben Hunter and slobbered about my accent, by Tuesday it had reached with Ryland, all right? So big lad, I don't think you're going to get away with that, you know? Yeah. Ah, yeah, well, so I heard about that on Tuesday. Uh, Lucas, uh, we were at a, an Acts 29 gathering in, in Rome a couple of years ago, and Lucas was doing the Acts 29 Ireland update, and he was showing photographs of, all, of the 89 churches, and, and everything's going well. And as a church planter, what you do is, church, hashtag church planter tips, what you do is you send the best photograph you've ever had, all right? So of a full room, full room, photographs up there, and Lucas is going, this is John, uh, up in Cornerstone, up in Rathfriend, and these are all his cousins. And I was like, <laughs> I, it just continually comes out of him all the time, all the time. So I'm well used to it, and apparently I have a culture accent, so I'm all right with that. Uh, as, as Lucas says, we're contextualizing down in Rathfriend, uh, renting the young farmers down there. Uh, so that's all I want to say about that, but I'm, I'm quite comfortable with my culture accent. I know you had posh Reuben last week. Next week, you'll have Robbo, 82, do, don't he do? Uh, all the best, all the best for that. Uh, Scouts for next week, all the best. Uh, but yeah, so no, today I want to encourage you from Psalm 34. And uh, this Psalm has been very much on my heart this week. 
uh, before I prepared to come to you guys. And I think it's fair to say, no matter what stage of life you're at, while you're young, while you're young married, young single, middle-aged, where I am now, married, kids, whatever stage you find yourself in life, you've had trouble. You've been in trouble. You've been lonely. You've been afraid. And that, that trouble comes in many different forms. That trouble comes through illness, as you guys know well about now. The man comes through, through jobs. It comes through family. Those, those difficulties, those worries can come in, in several different ways. But, but if you're sitting here this morning, I can almost guarantee that you've had some trouble in your life. And if you haven't yet, you will. That's the reality of life. Life brings us trouble. And the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 34, David finds himself in trouble. The, the, the title for this psalm, if you've got an ESV version, says this, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. The psalm that we find ourselves in this morning is King David in trouble, isolated, afraid, lonely. Some of you may feel like that this morning in here, even though you're in a, in a room full of people you may feel isolated and lonely and in trouble. But David writes this psalm, and he writes this psalm out of those fears, out of those worries, out of this loneliness, and he talks about the deliverance of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord. The context of this psalm is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And in the account, we see King, or David fleeing from who was then King Saul for his life. So bad was his fear that he fled to the, for, to the refuge of another king of another nation, that's how bad things were. He knew that he may not be overly welcomed there, but he went there anyway because he thought it was a safer option. He flees to Gath, to the king of Gath. And the king doesn't seem to be all that aware of King David or his achievements or whatever you want to call them. He, he's not, he doesn't seem to be aware. But, but in typical Northern Ireland fashion, if it was back then, no matter where you go, someone knows you. And, and King David finds himself, he, he's known, he's known by this other king's servants, actually. Not by the king himself, but by his servants. And they go to the king and they said, is this not David, the guy that is sang about, the, the guy that kills his tens of thousands? David being afraid for his life at that moment, feigns Insanity. If you go, you can go afterwards and read the account in 1 Samuel 21 there. David, this mighty man of God, feigns insanity, foams from the mouth, makes marks on the walls to escape what he thought would be punishment from this other king. And so the other king goes, are you guys wise? Look at this man. He's insane. That is no way. This is not the king that, that or this is not the guy that kills his tens of thousands. And so David is delivered because he feigns his own insanity. That's the context of Psalm 34. And in that context, what I love, and, and we, we know about David, we know that he is called in Scripture a man after God's own heart. We know about his exploits. And what I love about this is that it shows us over and over again, that the Scriptures, the Bible shows us over and over again that God uses broken people. This guy has just feigned his own insanity to get out of a situation, and yet he has called a man after God's own heart. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me because God uses broken people. And there's not one of us in this room today that's not broken. And that is not afraid at times, and is not lonely at times, and is not isolated at times. 
And we're told that King or David escapes to a cave out of fear for his own life. The Bible shows us this over and over again that God uses the broken. God is kind to the broken. He loves the broken because the reality is there is only one type of person, the broken person. The broken person. Now, there's no way today that in our time that we can do a full verse-by-verse expository of this text. It's just impossible. So what I want to try to do today is pick out three main themes that we find in Psalm 34. And and the first theme that we find in Psalm 34 is right from the get-go, where David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so the first major theme we, we find here in this psalm is that David is able to worship in spite of his circumstances. David is able to worship in spite of his circumstances. And as I said, these circumstances are extreme. And yet David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will praise God. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not sure, and this is conjecture on my part, I'm not sure if David was always here. I'm not sure if David's life always was like this. I'm not sure if David's life always, David was always able to praise God in spite of circumstances. It, I, my, my gut is that it may have taken him some time to get here, but yet he did. And that he was able to praise God in spite of his circumstances. This is difficult. And for me to stand here today and say that in spite of your circumstances, whatever you're going through, you should praise God and you should worship God. That's just hard. You guys are going through a time at the moment where, where Lucas isn't well. And to worship God in the midst of illness and to worship God in the midst of sickness is difficult. In Cornerstone, we have experienced our first, just in the last few weeks, we have experienced our first funeral. And it was horrendous. It was the death of a little 27-week-old baby. It was awful. Some of you will know the circumstances. But in that, in those most horrendous circumstances, what I was able to witness as a pastor was a couple, a grieving mother and father, who were able actually to worship in the midst of the most horrendous pain. And they lived out this psalm for me. They lost a little girl, and yet in the midst of that, they were able to worship. And we see this pattern throughout Scripture. Think of Job. When Job loses everything, what does he do? He worships the Lord. He worships the Lord in the most horrendous pain. I think there's many reasons why for us it's difficult in pain and in trouble to worship God. I think one of the reasons it's difficult is that we forget over and over again how faithful God has been to us in our lives. We forget how He's been there, how He has brought us through before. For, King, for David here, he, he, he remembers what God has done for him in the past, and so he recalls that, and then that, that, is, that, that fuels his worship. That enables him to worship in the midst of trouble. But another way that I think for us, when we're in trouble, 
and where we're going through hard times, what enables us to worship is when we get into the Word of God and we see the promises of Scripture. We see what God has promised to do for us, and, and we'll, we'll end up there today. But, but when we get into Scripture, when we see what God has done, it brings back to mind His faithfulness. We forget how faithful God has been. And, and wasn't that the, the trouble for the, the people of Israel all their, all their journey? They kept on forgetting how God had delivered them in the past. And they had to be reminded over and over again how faithful God has been to them. Whatever your circumstances are today, whatever trouble you're in today, I would encourage you to remember how faithful God has been to you. And how do I know he's been faithful to you? How, do I, how can I say that from here? Not knowing your circumstances. You're sitting here. You have breath in your lungs. You have the common grace of life. And he has been faithful. I think the second reason it's hard for us in times of trouble to praise and to worship is that we forget that God is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over all things. One of the most quoted verses of Scripture and one of the most misused verses and, and portions of Scripture is Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And we go, yeah, that's awesome. Doesn't that sound great? The context of that verse and those verses is that Israel are going to be carried off into captivity and some of the people of Israel will never see that plan come to fruition. And yet God is sovereign and God is good. Whatever you are in this morning, whatever circumstances you're facing, whether good or bad, God has planned good for you out of them if you're his. If you're his. And so the first major thing we see here is the ability and the enablement of God to worship through suffering, through trials, through hard times. David worships. The second major theme we find here is in verse 4 where David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. And so the second major theme we see here is deliverance, actual deliverance, being brought out of the difficulties, delivered from them. And if anyone had reason to fear, it was David in the situation that he was in, in a foreign land, fearing for his life, running from a psychopathic king. And fear can be crippling, it can be debilitating, it can, it can suffocate you. But in, but in Psalm, in this Psalm, in verse 4 and, and through to verse 6, we see how, how David deals with this fear. Fear can come within, within, it can come from without. Sometimes it comes when we think irrationally about things. Fears of failure, fears for our future. But let's look at this and see how David is delivered from all his fears. In verse 4 and 6, there's repetition. And it's important that we see this repetition today. In verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. 
And what I want us to hear this morning is that this is active. It's not passive. It's not sitting back and just hoping that God will do something. It is active. You can almost feel the angst in David here. This, I sought the Lord. I went after him. He, he, he seemed far from me, but I went for him. And then this poor man cried. There's, a, there's an angst in the voice of David here, going after the Lord. And you see David's part in this, and they're active. There's no sense of being passive here. When David finds himself afraid, what does he do? He seeks and he cries. They're not airy, furry things to do. They're almost aggressive. Another well-known scripture that is often used out of context is that one, as the deer pants for water. That, you know that lovely wee, oh, as the deer pants. You know, you've, if you've been around church, you'll know the nice sweet tune. But, but in these Psalms, in these heartfelt cries of David, they are, there's angst. There's real pain. And he goes after the Lord in his circumstances. I wonder for us, whatever the circumstance may be, and I know that with a room this size and a room this full, that there are many, many different circumstances in this room today. But I wonder, are there things in our lives that we just don't feel that we can be honest to even God about? Are there things that you are not bringing before Him? Are there things that you are not seeking Him for? Are there things you're not crying out to Him in? That he, and here's the crazy thing about this. Here's the crazy thing that we do. He knows. And yet we hold it back. He knows and yet we hold it in ourselves. What is it that you need to seek and to cry over this morning and bring to the Lord to ask him, as King David did, to ask him to deliver you out of the result of both seeking and crying for, for David here was that the Lord delivered him. The Lord brought him out. Literally, that's what delivered it in, in, in the Hebrew. It brought out of a situation. And there's something really important here that we need to pick up on. And I, I alluded to it in the context. The deliverance that King David has isn't the deliverance that we maybe thought it would be or should be. What was the deliverance? The deliverance was that King David feigned his own insanity and the Lord brought him out. Sometimes the deliverance that we receive may not be what we want it to look like. What do we do then? No miraculous deliverance, no lightning bolts, nothing out of the ordinary. You see, King David just trusted the Lord's sovereignty in all things. God had a plan. God knew what he was doing. And David knew that. And so David talks about this deliverance that the Lord brought him. And I want to say to you today as a church, and I want to be really, really careful about this, My wife, when we were, I had just started Bible college, and 
my wife at, 30, at the age of 32 was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And we didn't know what way that would go. We didn't know what way it was going to go. And we are so thankful that it went the way it did in the fact that she didn't need treatment and she had surgery and she was, she's well. We have three children. She's doing good. I think the Lord knew that I could, there was no way that I could cope with three kids on my own. Seriously. Uh, but there was one point in the waiting room in the city hospital, I remember it well, where we were able to look at each other and we were to say, whatever way this goes, it's okay. And I know Lucas is going through treatment at the moment. And I know this is Sue's heart. I know it's the kid's heart. But whatever way this goes, it's okay. Whatever way this goes, it's okay. Because God is sovereign in all things. And he will deliver Lucas whatever way he sees fit. And we've got to trust that. We've got to trust that. He's good. He's good. The third major theme that I want to show us today from this psalm is that in David's personal deliverance and all his praise and worship of God, there is an invitation David gives out for people, the collective, to join with him in this worship. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 11, come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. There's a real sense here in this psalm of, come on, let's go. Let's all of us go, the collective. Let's get together and worship the Lord through this together. And I want, and I want everyone to know. I want, so David said, I want everyone to be in this. I want everyone to know how good God has been and how good God is. Especially in verse 8 here, when you see David say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, not many of us, if you've been around church in the Northern Ireland context for any length of time, not many of us would say that this is the best evangelistic strategy ever in the world. Oh, taste and see. What, 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 are, you, what are you saying here, David? Oh, taste and see. What does that mean? That is not telling people to turn from hell and whatever. It's not the best evangelistic strategy you've ever come up with. What does it mean? David is saying here, I know that the Lord is good. And I want you to know that the Lord is good. Come and see. Come and see. What, what's he saying? Come and see. He's saying, come and see my life. Come and see by the way that I live. Come and see by, by how the Lord has impacted me and how the Lord has dealt with me. Come and see that he is good. Come and taste. So much of our evangelism, in Northern Ireland especially, and in our context, has been based around a decision to follow Jesus. Or an altar call. Or put your hand up. Or do whatever. It is not taste and see that the Lord is good. David says, come and see, come and, come and experience this. Come, come into this life that I know that God can give you too. And I know this may be heresy and I may never be asked back to, to preach in the village again, but it's almost as David, David is just saying, tell you what, let's, let's go and let's give this a go. 
Let's give it a go. Have you ever said that, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, have you ever said that to your friends? Just tell you what, just give it a go. Come and taste and see. Come and experience my life. Come and experience the community that I live in. Come and see what the joy of the Lord can do in a life. Have you ever said that? Probably not. And yet here King David is saying, let's go, let's go. Let's just come and see. Give it a go. Taste and see that God is good. Taste and see that God is good. Question on the back of that. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Do you know the goodness of the Lord? When we're singing those songs, I just was blown away by the the richness and the depth of some of those songs. When we talk about the fact that He has delivered us, that He is what we need, that Jesus is all. Have you tasted and seen that? Because again, I am not foolish enough to think that in this room, that a room, this number of people, that every single one of us in here has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I would encourage you today, as David encourages us today, let's go. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. There's, a, there's an invitation in verse 3 to magnify the Lord, to, to worship the Lord. And you, you see, this is a natural overflow of a heart that knows the goodness of the Lord, is to worship. It is just a natural overflow. And it is a natural overflow of the heart that, that has tasted and seen that the Lord is good to invite other people on that journey. For a long time up in Cornerstone, I, we were so reluctant. We, we're, we planted in a rural context. Uh, and if you know anything about a rural context, planting a church in a rural context is not all that easy. In the fact that there are a lot of other churches around. And, you know, so the, the main thing that was labeled at us was, oh, you, you just want to take people from other churches. Trust me, I know a lot of Christians. I don't want to take them from anywhere. But uh, that's, that's the main thing that you get, you get fired at you. You, want, you just want to steal people from other churches. And so out of that, I was so reluctant. Probably up until this day, I have never asked anyone directly to come to Cornerstone Church. Because in case I got back to some of the other church leaders that John's out there asking people to come to Cornerstone. Then there was about six months ago, I had a bit of an epiphany where I was like, that's crazy. That's actually crazy. Because if I believe this, if I believe that I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and I love that, and I enjoy that, and I want other people to be involved in that, and I want other people to be involved in the community that I know will love them and care for them and, and, and look after them and, and glorify the Lord, why would I not be asking people to come to that? It doesn't make sense. And so I want to put the challenge out there to you guys today. Who is in your life? Do you, I know you don't know because I've stood, enough, I've stood in front of enough people and enough church congregations to know that I am not going to be offended by your faces, all right? Because I know you don't look as if you're enjoying it right now. 
But I think because you're here, you probably do. Who are you inviting into this? If you value this community, if you value coming here every week, week after week and worshiping the Lord with God's people, who, who are you bringing in? I love the fact, you have no idea how much I love the fact that you guys have sent 40 people away to South to plant. That is, that's the dream for me. And, and even in Rough Friend, uh, I, we want that to happen. We want to send people away. We want to plant churches. That's who we are. It's in our DNA. Sending 40 people away has left space here. My prayer, my dream for you guys is that that space fills like that because you guys are out there inviting people in to join in your community because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you want others to taste and see that the Lord is good. But are you doing that? But are you doing that? You have tasted, and do you want others to taste the same? And so, three main themes in this psalm today are worshiping in spite of all circumstances. It's difficult. It may take some time to get there. But remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the promises of Scripture. Remember His sovereignty, how good He has been to you in the past. Remember that you're breathing and you have the common grace of life. The second main theme, deliverance. Are you seeking? Are you crying? Are there areas of your life where you're not doing that? The third, the invitation to others to bring people into this to bring people into the life of following Jesus. David finishes this psalm with what many commentators think is a prophetic look towards Jesus. He sees Jesus on the cross, and he says these words, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. He keeps all his bones. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's a prophetic look forward to Jesus. Not one of Jesus' bones were broken on the cross. If you know anything about the crucifixion and how cruel it was and how horrendous it was, one of the, one of the ways that the Romans would finish off the job was to break the legs of those who were on the cross so that they couldn't hold themselves up anymore by their legs and that they would just flop. That didn't happen, Jesus. You know from the story of the crucifixion that a spear was rammed into his side, and that's how he died. David is looking forward here to Jesus. Then he finishes with these words. And I think some of these words, these words reflect Romans 8, verse 1, and these words are some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Romans 8, 1. Now, for, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. And in this psalm, David wants to remind us prophetically of the gospel. That's what he's doing. That is the reality of knowing Jesus. That is the reality of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, that now for those who follow him, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. And I think it was, it was I think Lucas prayed this morning about Satan, the accuser. And there will be people in this room this morning who Satan is accusing right now of stuff that is in your life that's not right. Of things that are going on that are, are not right. And he is accusing you. And Jesus says, for you, there is no condemnation. That's what you must declare over your life this morning if you're a follower of Christ. It listen to this. It doesn't matter a stuff what Satan says to you. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And what he says matters most. And what he says for you this morning, if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, no matter what is going on, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. And when John will lead us in communion, that is what we are declaring to one another. And what I always say in Cornerstone is that if you're dealing with stuff in your life and if you're convicted of sin in your life right now, there may be stuff that you need to confess, repent of, yes. But the table of the Lord is for only one category of people again. Broken people. Confess, repent, Deal with it. Come forward. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I hope you're encouraged this morning. I hope you're challenged by whatever the Holy Spirit has been saying to you this morning. I want to bless you. I want you to know that we're praying for you. I want to hear that this room is filled over twice over again with those coming to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray for you, and then John's going to come and lead us. Father, I thank you today for the promises that you have in Scripture for us. And Father, I pray that today that that's where we would go, to your word, to this promise in Psalm 34 that there is no condemnation, to Romans 8.1, where there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, my prayer today is that if there's anyone in this room who hasn't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that today they would do that. That they would come in on this journey. That they would see that Jesus is good. That yes, we would see our own sin and our own unworthiness. but that we would fall on our knees in thankfulness that through Jesus, all of it can be wiped and that we can be whiter than snow. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name I pray.